Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hi there, I am here with Alex Capano. Uh, She is on the faculty of Thomas Jefferson University at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the Lambert Center for the Study of Medicinal Cannabis and Hemp. Nice. A real live researcher. How nice. Um, So you're obviously keeping busy these days because there's lots of studying going on with hemp CBD. I mean, not even hemp CBD, uh, whatever it is that uh, GW Pharmaceuticals is using. Um, you know, for, first, Alex, let me just talk about your, your groundbreaking work to me was on CBD for opioid addiction. And, and you just had something published in January, and uh, you found that of those on opioids for more than one year, taking CBD was effective in 53%, like half the patients who were able to reduce or eliminate their opioids within eight weeks. This stuff must work. And, and, then, and then, so an, another question was... Um, quality of life improved. And so that was, was that around pain and sleep? Was there any other endpoints or were those the, uh, that was around pain and sleep. We also measured mood in relation to anxiety and depression. We saw a trend of improvement, but it was not statistically significant. Got it. Got it. And pain and sleep were statistically significant. That's cool. And, and you were using uh, hemp CBD, like a full spectrum, and, and yeah. what was the dose that you were giving these patients? So we began this trial before the 2018 Farm Bill changes actually went into effect, and a lot of the limitations and red tape around research were lifted, which happened much more recently. Huh. So because of that, this study was, we were not able to do the most sophisticated designed of our protocol. We had to develop a protocol using an open label design, and we were not allowed to explicitly suggest a dose to the participants. So instead, they reported their dose to us, what they found worked best, and we recorded that and got some nice data there. Um, Almost all participants were taking 30 milligrams a day split into two doses. So 15 milligrams in a soft gel twice a day. Oh, in a soft gel. Interesting. Yes. Not, I, I, I was going to say oil, and I was going to say, did you make any recommendations about how to take it? Like, should you put it under the tongue? Um, do, do you have any thoughts on, on that, on what might work best for people who are taking oil? We, we used the soft gel because dosing data would be very clear. Right. It would have been more of a challenge to record what dose someone was taking with an oil under the tongue. So beyond that, I do prefer sublingual oils. So sublingual oils 
promote a more rapid onset and bypass first pass metabolism. So you will have greater bioavailability. The advantage of a soft gel delivery is prolonged effect. Right. Right. But you do have a delayed onset. And so because you didn't necessarily tell people how much to take, like, do you find I, I, I hear conflicting recommendations. Some people say start low and work your way up and other people start with something big so that, you know, you get a dose and then work your way down until you get to the lowest dose where you could still feel an effect. What are your thoughts on that? I am definitely part of the camp that says start low, go slow. That way, someone is not at risk for having tolerability issues. When you take CBD and especially full spectrum CBD in higher doses, it can not be tolerable because it can make people drowsy at times when they're not trying to go to bed and they don't want to be drowsy um, or elicit minor but unpleasant side effects that may limit them from taking it at all. So I'd much rather have someone start low, go slow, really develop a sense of how their body's reacting to this. And typically you don't need to go very high. So there's a little bit of patience required for that method, but it's not going to take someone a month to find that dose. Yeah. And in addition to that, we do have evidence that higher doses can actually be less effective than lower doses. Hmm. So if someone takes a really high dose to begin with and they don't think it works very well, so they actually increase it, it may be counterproductive and also the higher the dose, the increased risk of not only side effects, but drug interactions if they're taking medication. So lower is better, safer for your liver um, and less risk of side effects and drug interactions. Yeah, when I look at the published literature around side effects, the the most common one that you see is drowsiness and so you know some people want to take it because they want to be drowsy um and, and then another another is is those those drug interactions and it seems like the concern that the fda says that they're looking at i think is around um triggering liver enzymes you know so like a liver toxicity mm -hmm. yeah because th th they saw that when looking at the reports of epidiolex which again is like a 98 percent mm -hmm. isolate at super high doses um yes uh, are, are, it, it, does that all ring true to you? And are there any other side effects that people might come across when they're taking it that they're not expecting? You know, there's some conflicting evidence on whether cannabinoids, particularly CBD, helps or hurts. Uh, gastric reflux, so heartburn. Hmm. And it seems to be that the answer is it depends on the underlying mechanism. But I have had a small number, but a number of people tell me that it actually exacerbated their heartburn. Hmm. 
Interesting. Otherwise, uh, um, really drowsiness is the most common yeah. side effect. And, and again, and, some people want it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's either a side effect or an effect, <laughs> depending on what right. That's funny. So uh, getting back to the, the, the study that you published um, and it uh, working for uh, sleep and pain, I'm curious, these are people who are on opioids for like a year plus. Would that work for sleep and pain among those who are not on opioids, but, you know, more or less regular, you know, just your, 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 your basic stressed out, freaked out, you know, modern American person? That yeah. is my assumption and hypothesis and also my experience with a number of patients who are not on opioids, who are not on the, in this trial. Yeah. Seems to be that the dose is pretty consistent throughout opioids or no opioids. Right. So, you know, speaking of dose, there are these, I'm, I'm kind of curious about dose finding studies because the, the UK um, came out with uh, their recommendations of 70 milligrams per day as its upper intake level. Now, there's no upper intake level for any supplements on the U.S. market, but the FDA is reportedly considering coming up with that. It seems like they're concerned about, well, if we open it up for food and beverage manufacturers as well as supplement and manufacturers, then you could get into a scenario where someone's taking 25 milligrams in a drop and then 25 milligrams in a, in a little, in a brownie and maybe it's in their milk and it's here and there. And before you know it, you get up to this high point and you're taking too much daily. Do, do you have any idea? Have you seen any research that is indicative of what might be a, 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 an upper intake that you should not exceed? I'm not talking about, Oh yeah, yeah I, I have gestalt syndrome or, um, you know, right, right. And I'm a child and I need 70 milligrams per kilogram body weight, whatever. Um, but, you know, just for a person who say, oh, I want to take CBD because I have an anxiety or stress or whatever. And, and sh you know, th there is this, I, I like your start low and slow and kind of work your way up. But what, what, what do you see about, is there an issue with, with liver issue? I mean, that, that, that's sort of the big there one. There could oh. be. If you start yes. dancing the liver. So there is a, an excellent safety profile for CBD, but we have to remember it's not a biologically inert compound. We can't expect something that provides relief and effects, beneficial effects for so many people to not be metabolized by our body and therefore stress our liver out because it is metabolized through um, a particular pathway in the liver that many, many, many medications are metabolized uh, through as well. The safety profile is quite favorable and the risks are considerably limited at lower doses. But in the epidiolex data, we see that a dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day is associated with increases in elevated liver enzymes, 
that tended to be in participants who may have had pre-existing liver issues or who were on other potentially hepatically toxic medications, but that dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram a day does seem to come up frequently in the literature of that's the dose where we really start to see a higher frequency of adverse effects, including liver toxicity. And, you know, so I think the recommendation out of the UK of an upper daily limit of 70 milligrams per day is conservative, but I also think it's reasonable. They're really erring on the side of caution. And in reality, particularly with a full spectrum and even a broad spectrum product, most people do not need to exceed 70 milligrams a day. I tell people if you're taking this and you get absolutely no effects at 60 milligrams a day, you might be someone who doesn't respond. You know, hmm. it, it's really the outliers that need much more than that. And, and that's of cannabinoids, not necessarily the hemp extract because um, that may not be as cannabinoid rich as, as you think, it depends on the product. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, so this 20 milligram per kilogram, I, to me, three things come out. One is you said that those, uh, it, it suggested that that people with sort of pre-existing liver issues were, were seeing problems. So that's, that's a big factor, you know, that's a something to note. Also, that's an isolate we're talking and not like a broader full spectrum. And also, now, correct my math, uh, I, I majored in letters and not numbers, but 20 milligrams per kilogram body weight, if I'm 150 pounds, I'm a little more, but let's just say that's, that's like, is that 1,500 milligrams a day? Is that 20 milligrams per kilogram for 150 pounds? Yeah, it's about that. So, so that's, that's in, in fact, job. all of the dosing guidelines out of the UK are based on an adult who's 70 kilograms. Uh, of weight. So for that, it would be 1400 milligrams a day. It's, it's very, very high. Right. Okay. So boom, that's the mic drop, uh, you know, paragraph right there. And so now I, I, I want to finish up since we, we talked about your study that you just got published. We talked about safety and toxicity and dosages and, and you know, uh, you know, the preferred ways of, of taking it. So now here's the last question. What are you researching right now? Or what are you, what interests you right now for, for other issues maybe, or, or just things that confirm what we already know that just seems more certain? What's going on? I'm actually partnering with a couple of different universities and academic research centers on two phase two clinical trials. So this is very sophisticated research with designs that meet the criteria for influencing practice. These are, you know, triple and quadruple blinded, randomized, controlled crossover 
studies. Wow. And one is looking at chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. Mm. And the second is looking at agitation in dementia patients. And those measures of agitation will certainly give us high-quality data on sleep and anxiety. So between these two trials, we'll have really good information on pain, sleep, anxiety, dosing, and safety, because we certainly will be, you know, drawing serum samples and evaluating not only tolerability from the participants' perspective, but also a biological assessment of liver enzymes, for example, to contribute more safety data for regulatory purposes. That and is, tax purposes, yeah, of course. That, that's so exciting. And, and so I'm crossing my fingers as I ask this follow-up question. Are you using a CBD isolate or like a full spectrum no. that a consumer might have? Yes. Yay. Yes. Thank you. The, the products used in these trials are over-the-counter full spectrum hemp extract that is commercially available right now. Cool. Yay. That's awesome. We actually had to um, jump through the hoops with FDA to um, get their authorization to run these trials. And they have a, a major responsibility for everyone's health and safety. So these hoops are necessary or these hurdles are necessary, but it's, it says a lot when they really, really questioned the manufacturer on consistency, quality assurance, manufacturing methods, potency, purity, everything, yeah. and gave the okay that these products could be used in a clinical trial with populations we consider vulnerable. So I think that was a major win for the industry and, and for, you know, manufacturers who are doing it well. Yeah, that, it's very exciting. And I mean, the agitation in dementia patients, that sounds like something quite valuable. I'm, I'm curious, the, the chemo-induced peripheral neuropathy, is, is that a disease state? So would that be like problematic to be researching something that the FDA might consider something that's only open for drugs or or not am i wrong there um well the fda after a lot of review and back and forth said they were happy to let us research it so i don't see the problem there um we are asking permission and and trying to answer the call for more high quality data with this. And are you familiar with what chemotherapy induced peripheral neuropathy is? Let's say no. Okay. So this is neuropathic pain Uh after chemo or during chemo that is often so debilitating it can be treatment limiting. Mm. And then patients, you know, cannot pursue 
potentially life-saving therapies because of the side effects. Even if they can complete their course and their cancer goes into remission, this neuropathy is often chronic and leaves patients and cancer survivors with a lower quality of life. Um, some are even on disability or have to be on narcotic pain medications long-term, which comes with considerable risks to morbidity and mortality for those patients. So there's really no good treatment options out there. Um, and this is being explored and is really exciting. I, I'm just anxious to get the results. Yeah, right. What, when do you, th do you think the results will be available like 2021 sometime? Probably end of 2021, early 2022. The principal investigator on this study will certainly make some data, whether that's efficacy or safety, whatever is relevant and available throughout the study. Uh, we'll present that at different conferences as it becomes available, but the final presentation and conclusions will likely be early 2022. Got it. That's cool. I could imagine that the one of the reasons the FDA gave it the nod was because this condition, like when, when it doesn't respond to any drugs or treatments that are out there, you know, it's sort of like the end of the world. It's like, okay, fine. You know, no, nothing else seems to work. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Go ahead at this point and see, you know. Right. And that's really the same case with agitation and dementia. There's mm -hmm. a, a lack of effective treatment. Oh, interesting. interesting. Um, do, any other uh, things that you see um, hemp CBD being researched that sounds interesting, whether or not you're actually participating in it at all, but just like, oh, wow, look at that. It's something other than pain, stress, sleep, anxiety. There's research on neuroinflammation and particularly CBD's effects to prevent or reduce tissue and cell death after injury. So think of this after traumatic brain injury or myocardial infarction, actually limiting the damage that these injuries can have on the body, preserving life, quality of life and function of those tissues long-term. Mm. And that's really exciting and, a, and an off you know, something adjacent to that is research looking at, okay, if this is going to protect during those acute injuries or um, be a, a viable therapeutic option post-injury, what about long-term use for slowing the progression of degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's or just 
cognitive decline in general. Can these cannabinoids be used to prevent diseases that we have no way of preventing right now other than trying to live a healthy life, but you know, there's no guarantees. Right, right. Tantalizing. Yeah. So, you know, maybe part of a healthy life uh, includes just taking CBD every day. Exactly. Yeah, right. Cool. That's really exciting. Um, Anything else I've overlooked you want to let us know? One other exciting area of research that aligns with the study I published on opioids is really substance use disorders and um, addiction medicine. So we are seeing some really promising results about CBD's use for helping people not only who are on long-term opioids as an alternative, but someone who may be dealing with a substance use disorder and um, that addiction pathway as well. That's really cool. Boy, so, uh, so. You're, 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 you're keeping busy. I get it. Yes. That's really keeping busy in my, my, you know, little home office. <laughs> I know. I hear you. We're all we're all in the same boat. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, Can't really complain. Right. Well, it was it was really good to catch up with you again, and um, I promise not to, I won't be as much of a stranger next time. But uh, it, good. It, it, it's exciting to hear just some of these uh, new interesting uses for the cannabinoids, CBD, or you know some of the other ones. Um, cannabinoid medicine. It's a thing. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.